When it comes to making display type or just even thinking about teaching that subject, I spend a lot of time just thinking about that, figuring out how do I approach teaching this subject? Do I simply want to have them make weird, wild shapes? Or do I want to have them think that are for covers of magazines? And I came up with my definition of display type is just making type that stands out. Hey, everybody. I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. Welcome to the weekly typographic. Our weekly episodes talk about type and design news, but we've got a bonus episode for you today. We're chatting with a designer that's innovating the field through education and their practice. It's going to be fun. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Today on the podcast, we have Juan Villanueva. Juan is a type designer, letterer, and educator based in New York City. Juan is a senior type designer at Monotype and since 2016 has contributed immensely to the Monotype library, helping with several high-profile type families, including Helvetica Now, Futura Now, and Wallbaum. He's also worked on many custom projects for global brands like Google, Microsoft, Tencent, and Entertainment One. As an educator, Juan is committed to giving back to the global type community in several ways. He's the lead instructor of the Type West online program, and he's the founder of both Type Crit Crew and Typefaces as Cultural Objects, two projects that we love and encourage all our listeners to check out. Juan's on the board for New York's Calligraphy Guild Society of Scribes, and he previously taught at Type at Cooper, the City College of New York, and the Cooper Union Summer Art Intensive Program. Having grown up in both Lima, Peru and Clifton, New Jersey, Juan's work reflects his unique perspective and experience with both languages and cultures. Welcome, Juan. Hello. Hi, Olivia. We're so excited to have you on the podcast today. My goodness, you have been on the shortlist for people to interview for so long, and I'm so glad we were able to set something up. You have such a unique perspective that you bring to the type industry and especially to the type education sphere that I can't wait to talk about how you weave your professional practice with your education practice in making the type world a genuinely better place. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I really think you're doing so much out there and I'm so excited to speak about it with you. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about it too. Yeah, it'll be great. So to get us started, like I mentioned at the league, We are in awe of your talent. You are a senior type designer at Monotype. That is a huge professional accolade. But then also you're this lead educator as well. It's mind-blowing. It's amazing. And your commitment to education on top of your existing professional practice is something that's incredibly admirable and I love seeing. So I imagine juggling both those things is quite difficult. And you've been doing both education and your professional practice for a little bit of time now. What was the drive originally to be an educator in the industry in the first place? Oh, that's an interesting question because it actually brings me back to when I started teaching back in 2016. Everything kind of happened all at once. So I started teaching at the same time I started working at Monotype, which was an interesting idea because I was first getting into teaching, trying it out, see if it was something I was interested in doing. I mean, I've been interested in teaching, but nothing really formed until that moment. And then two things came up, right? I wanted to be a type designer and I got a position at Monotype. And then I also started teaching, which then I realized, okay, I have to do these two things. I already committed to one, to both. So I have <laughs> to do it. And yeah, I think it was an adjustment. I think professionally working at Monotype was amazing to start mm-hmm. with, just learning the craft and getting uh, getting used to working as a team in type full-time. And then I realized that teaching became like the other side of this coin. Well, in one aspect, I'm doing creative work when I'm solving a client's problems, answering a brief, 
teaching, I get to really explore and dive deep into the questions that as a designer, I'd like to dive deeper, but sometimes in a client project, the briefs are already defined. When you are teaching, you get to ask the questions as to, for example, like, why do you need this specific color? And especially with students teaching summer art intensive program, and I did it for two years, and these are high school students, that is a tough audience. So Mm -hmm. uh, you're dealing with students who, for the most part, thinking of me as a teenager, you know, I already know everything. So one, you have to, you have to convince them that you are a reliable source and you have to win them over and their trust but also have to make it interesting. And that was a huge lesson for me as an instructor and also also huge for dealing with clients as well. And that was a beginning drive just to be better at communicating and engaging with an audience and also being able to articulate the things that I'm doing at work or as a designer and articulate it to people who want to learn more, who are open to conversations, which usually also are also clients, right? They also want to talk about these things. That's how my drive kind of started. And then that curiosity became even deeper once you start teaching the subjects, because once you start talking about graphic design and you start putting together your lessons, you start to realize that one, at least for me, I started to question everything that I was putting together because everything we've been taught, or at least I was taught for the most part, had been part of the Western European canon. And Mm -hmm. I didn't see myself reflected in the material. And I realized, well, I can't do this without trying to see what else is out there. How can you teach a subject that you are part of without you in it? Uh, where is mm-hmm. your story in this field? And it exists, obviously, like there is, there is a large a community of BIPOC designers. But unfortunately, in the actual education system, in the books, in the materials that we use, that tends to be put aside. That has been the case you know, for a long time. So as I was teaching, I tried my best to figure out ways to open up, make things a little bit more open-ended. So it's not necessarily, these are the heroes of graphic design. Mm-hmm. It's more about, you know, this is this way certain people approach this style. Uh, let's take the Bauhaus, but then how do we extrapolate those principles? And then what other things are related to it that you've seen, you've experienced? Especially because when you deal with students... At least at Cooper Union, and my experience at City College have been students with diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So a lot of variety, people from coming from different parts, walks of life, and also different experiences, different cultures. And that has been really enriching for me because you can't really assume anything. You really have to be very sensitive. And also you learn a lot from how they understand and synthesize the lessons that you give them. Um, so that so started with curiosity and then my drive became, well, there's a lot I could learn from my students as well. Mm-hmm. And then that has sort of become the challenge or the opportunity for me to question everything I'm, I'm teaching. And that I do this every time. That is why it's so, one is difficult, but also it's fun because you're, mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person that likes to challenge myself intellectually all the time. I don't like repeating the same thing twice. That becomes a little bit boring for me. Like, no, if you can do that, might as yeah. well record a YouTube video and have <laughs> someone watch it, which I do for tutorials because that is what it is. But if it's a lecture, things are changing all the time in terms of typography, history, new discoveries are being made. So if you are still engaging in the subject truly as an educator or as a designer working right now, then you really have to be aware that, you know, if, you, if you're talking about, let's say, again, you know, a subject as, as well known as the Bauhaus, you can't simply just regurgitate what was in the book. You actually have to have to see all the new discoveries or new perspectives that people have brought upon that subject. And then perhaps think about what are, this, what are the subjects that have been talked about forever? And then perhaps talk about other subjects that get a little bit less of the spotlight. So I'm trying to do a lot more of that. And part of that is bringing new people into the conversation. 
students with different perspectives can also enrich that and their interests also vary. And I think that makes the subject or the topics of the class much more wider than as, as opposed to just my own interest, because I try not to put too much of myself into it, but in a way I'm guiding that overall arching conversation so that it's not simply just very linear or I guess narrow. Yeah, exactly. There's so much there I want to start branching off of. So thank you <laughs> for sparking Sorry, a thousand that was, that ideas. That was a long-winded answer, but yeah. No, I think that really kind of leads to a lot of things I want to interrogate you on and find out more about because of your unique approach to education. You just don't hear every day someone that's like, I'm constantly trying to evolve things to be inclusive of more voices and inclusive of more histories. And when we're talking about design history, we're taught it in this very linear fashion with the Western European lens. And it wasn't until even after college that I understood that this Helveticization of everything was literally Eurocentric design standards just infiltrating everything we were looking at. That's not the history of everywhere in the world. That's the history that we knew and are taught in canon. So I also want to come back to when you were designing the curriculum for when you first started teaching. I've always realized when I've designed curriculum, you really actually have to really know your shit. You can't come in half-assing that information. I almost feel like I learn the best when I need to teach something because I really, mm -hmm. I'm really trying to get a well-rounded perspective on it. And you mentioned that when you were planning your curriculum, you were realizing that things could be taught in a different way and you weren't really satisfied with what was already existing. What were those initial sparking points, I guess, when you were planning your curriculum where you were like, oh, maybe we don't have to include this, or maybe we could spin this in a different way that could be more interesting for a more modern lens. What were kind of examples of things that you were trying to spin out in a different way or teach in a different way? There's a lot to that. I think one of the ways in which I started to do something like this is to start by doing the expected thing, like build out the presentation the way I was taught to do including the things that I thought should be included, and then start poking holes in my own presentation and saying, I'm talking too much about this topic. Is there something similar from somewhere else? So little things like that. And then if a specific assignment is too narrow, then maybe make it a little bit wider. So just to give you an example, this idea of, especially with the summer art intensive uh, with high school students, part of being a designer is not simply making cool graphics with cool typography and cool visuals and color. I think that's those are the elements that you have to understand, but there is power in being able to interrogate what you can bring to the table as a designer, how to be a thinking graphic designer, not just you know, a production artist. So that is some of the lessons I try to instill in my graphic design students at, you know, from high school at the Cooper Art Intensive Program. And some of the things I would do, especially for the final project, I would say, find something that you're interested in and make a poster about it. And that, that was really open-ended and that led to a lot of questioning because perhaps there was some tension between them wanting to know specifically what they should be talking about, but I was telling them to just do whatever you want and just try to communicate a message with typography, with visuals, with color. And that can be, as graphic designers, you know, that the, the open-ended questions are usually the hardest because there's too much freedom and you actually have to come up with something. You have to see where you're coming from. And people would try to do silly things or things that are, are interesting. For example, if somebody wants to, wants to make a poster about their cats, I love that. I think that's great. Make a poster about your cats, but take it seriously. Like, what is it about your cat that you like? What are some qualities? How can you express, let's say, you know, that feeling of maybe indifference or playfulness or whatever it is? 
through a poster with typography color, I think that's when it becomes challenging. Once you take an idea that could be dismissed as, oh, we're making posters about cats, but you're actually interrogating it, you're taking it seriously. And if you actually work at it, you can learn something from it. Even Or even something as, you know, I hate when people don't cover their noses when they sneeze. Mm-hmm. Okay, why don't you make a graphic that tells people they should be doing this? Yeah. Could be just, it's a very simple graphic illustration, some typography, nice composition, make sure it reads from a distance. And there are a lot of lessons you can put into that specific assignment. So part of that is, so one, they can think, one, two, they take their ideas and their interests seriously. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as, as a designer, you're communicating a message and your job is to find a solution that gets that message across. And mm-hmm. there are many, many ways of doing that. There's no right answer. And I'm really excited when they explore their own their own identities, their own backgrounds, their, their own interests, whether that is being afraid of germs or just loving their pets or mm-hmm. even being really proud of their culture or their religion, whatever it is, I think as long as they can find confidence in that and find new tools to communicate, then that is that is a be- really big lesson. Sometimes with assignments, they tend to be a little bit on the narrow side, like make a book cover for this topic. And yeah, it could be as easy as just making it open-ended, like make a book cover for one of your favorite books and actually dive deep into the research. It's usually taken very surface level and not really uh, as much as into the storytelling, which is where you can actually process. And part of being a designer, I think, is also writing and and being able to communicate a message. So yeah. I asked them to do like write a little blurb about it and so like craft that so that they can be succinct and they can also talk about their work and not necessarily defend it, but do have you know a reflection upon it so that it is coming from an honest place of curiosity and not just, you know, since because they like it, which you know, obviously they like it. We know that, but they actually need to articulate a little bit more than that. Yeah, I feel like research is so underrated when it comes to design. Sometimes students hear the word research and they think, well, I'm not like a graduate student design. Like, why am I doing a research? I don't have a dissertation. You know, it's such a heavy word, but even something like, okay, you're researching your cats. There's research to be done there because (laughs) a story doesn't come from nowhere. You need to start crafting a narrative and sharpening whatever story you're telling. And do you find that I can imagine a big idea like, here's something so open-ended. Do students typically, like, have they struggled in the past to connect that immediately to a visual because it feels like such a big idea? And is it the research that usually takes them there or do you have to offer resources in a specific way? We're really getting into like pedagogy, but like I'm so here for (laughs) it. So I only did that for two years. And I guess one of the biggest things I found is some of them were at a stage where they didn't really know themselves. So they really didn't know any topic. Like, what do you like? I don't know. Do you like ice cream? I do like ice cream. Okay. Maybe make a poster about ice creams, your favorite flavors, and maybe make, you know, like a signage for an ice cream shop or something like that. Try to tie it into something that's a little bit more, uh, has a function to it if they're a little bit lost. But try to guide them to think of something and make something out of nothing, which is kind of what designers do, and realize this is just an exercise. This is not going to be the end will be all of, of your career. And just getting over that hurdle is also a lesson that I try to teach them. But it, again, it was the contest is very specific. These are high school students trying yeah. to develop a portfolio to attend an undergraduate program, which is the goal. So their experience in graphic design is very minimal, or some of them have taken a few classes here and there. They might have taken lessons in Illustrator, Photoshop, 
and that helps them in execute the work. But my job there is to help them to think through being stuck with a blank canvas and really start thinking as a designer and trying to solve a problem with visuals and typography and just seeing the value in the combination of those two and how much power they can be if they if the combination works just right. But for that, they have to just do it. And that was yeah. kind of like the style of the class workshop, doing the work and then talking about it. Well, I'm glad we're starting here because I think every designer has started there. There's no way that you you know <laughs> you just like started doing like type design and everyone had to start at core principles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. One hundred percent. And the lesson that you said is like teaching people that this is not the end all be all of your career. This is understanding how we put thoughts into visuals. Sounds so basic, but so many students want to skip that step and just make design that looks correct. Ultimately, I remember having that desire. <laughs> yeah. Of, can I just make this look like a real designer did it? I don't want to think about the research and all that. I can look at the trends. Yeah, exactly. It is really very specific to the students in high school. Sometimes they have a style, quote unquote, mm-hmm. a style. And getting over that hurdle of you don't have a style. Yeah, right. I mean, they have a style, they have a preference, but I think part of the job is to, okay, tell me a little bit more about your style. Are you open to exploring things outside of the style? Let's see how you deal with that. And, you know, yeah. it's like, I think even in undergraduate, I heard people like, oh yeah, this is my style. Yeah. I'm a little bit skeptic about that kind of stuff. Because yeah. I think the most scientific designers I've seen, I've met, they're always searching for new things. They're always challenging themselves. Yeah. So their style is quote unquote iterating and just trying new things. Yeah. And I think if you are narrowing down to this is my style, unless you know that is the, the kind of genre you're part of where you have to have a style, then you're maybe limiting yourself a little bit for other options or like even growth opportunities. Yeah. So that's a lesson to also like try to show the students. I, all important stuff and important in basic design, important when you start moving further into more advanced techniques. I mean, I think I'm glad we're starting a conversation here because I want to shift closer in to all the work you're doing in the type design sphere. And we're starting to see really massive shifts in type education. Interestingly enough and unexpectedly enough, a lot of that came from the pandemic because remote learning is, was finally getting embraced and taken seriously by institutions that previously weren't. So things are shifting with how type is taught, the way it's taught, what kind of content is being included. And I think with that, there are some people that are really working hard to make education accessible for like the first time ever to broader audiences in the type design world. It's crazy to say that, but this has been gatekept for far too long. I think there's also a new new round of educators that are emerging and that want to also work to make the type design field and education field more accessible. So what are the most effective actions that educators and type designers, professionals themselves, can take to make type design education even more accessible? (laughs) There's no easy answer to this, but, you know, the best thing they can do is just put themselves out there and talk to students and get to know students. That is pretty much it. Like genuinely have an interest in the people you're talking to. I'll talk a little bit more about sort of like calligraphy. Yes. Because there's a clear example with calligraphy. Sometimes you see people giving workshops in a specific style, but it's less about the craftsmanship. It's more about therapeutic aspects of it. And it's less about getting better at it. It's more about just doing it and some of the craftsmanship and the discipline gets put aside. And that's fine. You know, that becomes a kind of like a money-making enterprise. And that's, mm-hmm. that's cool. I think, I think for type, however... This specialization has been so difficult to acquire for the reasons you pointed out. 
the tools have become more democratized, so it's easier to to study and learn even on your own. So if type designers out there, uh, they want to make this education more accessible, then I think you just have to put yourself out there. It takes a lot of your own time, obviously. It's a huge sacrifice to give up a couple of hours during the week to talk to students and reach out. And it's not for everyone. But if, if that is something they're interested in, I think definitely just reach out to students. And if you have no, you need a place to start. I don't mean to promote my own thing, but- No, promote it, promote it. <laughs> you can join Type Crew. The basic idea is, is just like a spreadsheet or a list of type designers who are just sign up. And whenever I have a student asking for type feedback, you know, I offer myself first. I'm like, hey, here's my calendar, let's chat, look at the dates I have available. And then, and if not, you know, here are a couple of people you could also chat and or look at this list, whoever's in your time zone. And I think they're all great people. Reach out to them and they'll be able to tell you more about type design or give you feedback if you have a type project. But that is pretty much it. It doesn't have to be super difficult or time intensive. But one of the things is just to put yourself out there. And I keep saying that, but it's, it is the most difficult thing because type is very intense. So we tend to work, 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 and sometimes, you know, forget about or kind of like get lost in the world of type. And, and it's also really cool to actually talk to people about it. And there's a lot of people who want to learn the skill. And when you genuinely get to know people and you realize, you know, that they have different economic hurdles or time zone hurdles, whatever it is, then you start to realize, okay, maybe there are a few things I could do to help with this. And one of the things I realized could do this was to start a fund. So that's what I did when I started teaching because I realized like I said, it's not just having diversity, it's like diversity will make your class better. Mm-hmm. The kinds of projects, the kinds of conversations, the kinds of topics you can cover are completely different than a class that you can teach where everyone can afford, you know, the expensive fee, which yeah. I think it's fair. Like if they can expense it, great. But usually there's a lot of motivated people who can't afford it. Or even it's not that they can't afford it, it's that if you offer them a spot, then they'll bring their best selves in and they, they'll make the class amazing. In that term, you know, accessibility is not simply just giving people scholarships. It's just bringing in people who want to learn and motivate it, and they can really transform your classroom. That's what happened in my display type class when I did that scholarship fund. The projects that you can see on the website, a lot of them wouldn't have happened without that combination of students. Uh, wow. And I would say the same thing with the Type West students, because they they are from all over the world. So a lot of the things they talk about, you know, are specific to where they're from. So I get to learn more about them, their backgrounds. I get to learn more about their perspectives. And that is very unique to this online environment. You can achieve something like that, let's say in a hub like New York, where everyone is from everywhere. In my class at Tabard Cooper, we have people from that travel from, from various places. And you can also experience that at a master's program as well, where people travel. But that's also a very expensive thing to do. So the next thing could be, you know, an online education, but it, online education is not simply a translation. You really have to design it and make sure everything is not a replica of the in-person experience. It's actually an experience that is born online and it's meant to work online. So that is what we did with the Type West program. And for Type Centers, you know, you just have to reach out and make yourself available. And that is how you make things more accessible and share what you know. I think I see a lot of people sharing tutorials, sharing on Twitch, sharing on Instagram. I think sharing is key because 
the more information you share, the more that becomes available, the more people will be interested, the more people perhaps will look up to you and ask you questions about the things you're sharing. And then obviously make yourself available, have a chat. And then if you're genuinely interested in them, they'll know. And you'll start developing that conversation and those connections. Yeah. I can say for myself, just being involved in the type community, I have lots of global friends these days and people are so generous in the type community because I know there's a lot of people that are, are still students that listen to the podcast. We have an array of people, honestly, but there's a lot of generosity in general. And I'm so glad you mentioned Type Crit Crew. I was going to bring them up if you didn't. So I'm glad you promoted them <laughs> because I constantly hear people, whether it's someone I hop on a call with or interview with that was like, oh yeah, I was just starting out. I was really early just learning the ropes before I signed up for a program and this famous designer that just happened to volunteer on Type Crit Crew, I got crit from them. And I think that's the type community in general because not that many communities can like the celebrities of the of the communities <laughs> themselves actually be accessible. But in a lot of times, I know that so many really talented designers like yourself too are just really putting themselves out there and volunteering their time. And that just, it just makes a huge difference. I I just can't even express that. That is something that I'm so grateful for that we have. And I think people are also realizing that the more people get out there and the more type designers that join Type Crew, the more encouraging it's going to be for everyone to start getting involved. So I love that initiative immensely. Yeah, and also I want to add that there's a lot of people doing similar things or doing their own thing. I got to give a shout out to the Alphabetis. They have an amazing mentorship program. I met a lot of people who have done that. And, you know, that's, and it's different from Type Approve. But again, we need more of these kinds of things from different people because there is not right solution. Maybe Type Approve is not for you. Maybe Alphabetis is not for you. Maybe you want something different Then start it or tell someone about it and they should start it. And that way we have, you know, different approaches that trying to make Type Design a little bit more, more accessible and open. So, yeah, I mean, Type Thursdays has been doing this for a while as well on the in-person. Now they're doing it online. So that's another way festivals, organizations, once they were online, you could, you could see the warmth that certain communities would give out in their live events and their online events. That's a lot of people doing this. There's also a lot of people who are doing it and not saying anything about it. <laughs> they're just keeping it <laughs> behind closed doors, but, are, you know, are doing a lot of this kind of work. So. Oh, 100%. We talked to Nadine Shaheen and she was like, I'm awake for most of the day in three different time zones. I'm mentoring women in Arabic type. And I yeah. was like, what? <laughs> but like, we never would have even found that out. And Nadine is like one of the head leaders of Arabic type in the modern digital world. So you're so right. People are doing it and it's happening whether you hear about it. Yeah, so it, it, it is happening and everyone does it their own way and I think that's great. And we should all be doing whatever we can and the way we can, the way it works for us and makes us comfortable, I think. Agreed. You also mentioned something so interesting that's going to segue me into talking about Type West Online. You said virtual programs should, to be successful, should really be designed as a different program than the in-person program. So Type West was for a very long time in-person, similar to Type at Cooper and some of the other certificate programs. You are now the lead instructor at Type West Online, which is incredible and makes me so excited about all the new type designers that are going to have you as an instructor. Because literally, whenever I mention your name and someone went through the Type West Online program, they're like, Juan is the best. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> but I do want to ask you, what pieces of type design knowledge are you including in the curriculum that wasn't necessarily part of more traditional 
type education program previously, whether that's because it's virtual and some things are taught differently or because you were looking at the type design education curriculum previously and you're like, these things can stay, these things can go. So like, what are you morphing it into as you kind of <laughs> go down your path for Type West Online? Yeah, that is interesting because this idea of traditional type education, to me, doesn't really exist because it's so new. Just being able to study type at a program, this is a recent invention, like the past 10 years. So in terms of tradition, I don't think there's a long tradition of teaching type. It's, it has been like an apprenticeship kind of format. That said, there are things that pe- the way people approach it, like, you know, a revival, the regional design and expansion. So there are outline of processes that people do. But in terms of the approach, I don't see a tradition in it necessarily. Mm. That said, it's important, or at least for me, to not simply revive something for the sake of reviving something. And as my approach as an instructor, I think it's important to figure out what is my vision and what is my approach to certain methods of teaching. So let's put it this way. For the revival project, you know, one of the goals, one of the basic foundational goal is to be able to observe and learn how to draw. At the very basic, after you finish the 10 weeks, you should be able to see things you didn't see before, and you should be able to draw outlines with much better quality than when you started. Mm-hmm. Starting from, let's say, from a very basic level, knowing Illustrator and using glyphs. That is one of the basic goals. Now, that is pretty much how we learned type design too. It's like I, I, I looked at the, at the high resolution scan and started plotting points and figuring my way around it. Now, I think that is, like I said, the very basic. I think there is much more to digitizing and approaching a type level than that. So I'm glad you asked this question because to really be a type designer and to be a designer, you have to be a thinking designer. You have to understand the context and that will help you figure out how to and where to plot those points and how to observe those scans, how to judge the quality of something, of any material. So whether it's a pixelation, whether it's ink spread, whether it is looking at sources that where the letters are all scrambled together, meaning that they use different A's or different N's here and there for whatever reason. Those are things that you only learn through actually observing the material, studying the material, reading about the material, looking at other related materials, looking at printed matter made from that same design. That's the research aspect of it. It's not academic research necessarily, but if they are interested and keen on that, they can go down that rabbit hole. Uh, A lot of the students this term, they actually have gone to libraries in their own locations and use the resources around them to really understand where design is coming from. Some of them bought books that are using the type in print, so they have two different points of reference the kind of the quality of the scans varied. You know, we have to learn from archive, which is a great, great resource for getting materials, getting scans. And some of them they had, you know, they found sources somewhere else, which is also great. And again, they're using their means they have available to them. And I think that that is a lot of power. Just realizing that you have the, the agency to do something like that. And all you have to do is, you know, email a librarian and get in touch and just go down that rabbit hole. And then that's the research part, then it's the actual observing part. And you know, we're also very lucky. The people that are from Archive are, are super generous with their knowledge as well. Shout out to Stephen Coles, who helped us, you know, identify a lot of these typefaces that the students were looking into. Like, uh, I, they found this cool specimen and Stephen would be like, oh, this kind of looks like this from this era. And the student would dive deeper into that and they would find related things. Same thing with my co-instructor, Carl. I mean, Carl comes from a different educational experience than me. 
And that is one of the reasons I wanted to work with him because I worked with him at Monotype. He is brilliant. He's so smart. He's very charming, but he's also really, really good at drawing. Like his eyes for looking at form, drawing form are our next level. I want to get there at some point, you know, it's like, <laughs> but that's the whole idea. It's like working with people who are way ahead of you in, in that sense or have a different experience. And our conversations in terms of teaching the first term were so rich. I learned a lot from working with him. And yet the way he guided the students as well is different because I come from Kappa Cooper, which yeah. has a specific pedagogy. Carl comes from a more of an apprenticeship oh. way of learning. So again, it's how do we combine those two things so that, again, this is the idea of tradition. Like there is no tradition in type education. Like things are changing and moving all the time. Perhaps before it was apprenticeship, then it was master's. You can take a workshop. And if you really work hard at it and dedicate your time and use the resources around you, like the mentorships, crits and things like that, you really can kind of like skip and save yourself a lot of money and become a decent and type designer and produce high quality work. So the paths towards getting there are changing a lot. With that also, it's on the people teaching the subjects to really question and find their perspectives on it. And, and when I do Type West, that, that is exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm not going to simply just do a type revival assignment. I'm going to try to like infuse a little bit more academic research if possible, more theoretical thought work, and really ask them to question and think as designers. If they do want to become a type designer and they are tasked with working on a revival project, they need to rely on their, on their team around them and have those conversations and look at the work and not simply digitize, but actually understand where those shapes are coming from. And once you do understand a little bit more of the context in terms of like printed matter, era, materials, you can make a better educated guess as to whether this is going to be a sharp slap serif, whether it's going to be a little bit of bracketing, whether it's going to be symmetrical or not, whether it's going to be uh, parallel or it's going to be some tapering at the ends. All of those questions that feel like aesthetic solutions actually are deeply connected to the printed matter and history. So... At the end of the day, the client is just going to see a really cool design. But mm -hmm. you as a designer, you need to actually know this and need to understand this. And that is one of the biggest lessons, you know, apart from the very basic idea of finding sources, observing, and learning how to draw. That is what it brings to the table in terms of this term. It's like I challenge them more intellectually as well as technically in terms of their craftsmanship. And that, that is a lot of fun. Like the students that are really interested in that, which is pretty much all of them, <laughs> It's great because then we have we can have those conversations. That gets me excited about teaching. Definitely. I, I know you also, you teach the display type a several week-long workshop, correct? Yeah. Okay, so that feels like very different than like a revival project where you're taking all this knowledge. I love also that you were like, type design education is fairly new. Like there was apprenticeships. Yes, of course. I love that addition to this, to this history. But when we're talking about display type, it's so much more about building stories with unconventional forms. I mean, not completely, but you're not taking the really, really nitty gritty tech stuff. I'm curious what you've learned from that experience, what people are actually interested in. Like that was not a course I ever remember hearing anything about like when I was first interested in type design and it's a pretty unusual one to teach. How does that go? How do you even teach that? I mean, it, there has to be a base level of knowledge, right? And you know, at what point does someone really want to tell a story and are there times when they come up with really unconventional letter forms and you have to reject some of the work they're doing because of A, B, and C. I just, I don't know. I want to hear about it. Display type is an interesting aspect of type design. 
Mainly because you can go into routes. One of them is go in the truly experimental display realm. Well, legibility takes kind of like a backseat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the challenge is to still have a system and somewhat legible. The other route is the super elegant display, like high contrast, kind of like fashion-y or just things that stand out. And so again, when it comes to making display type or just even thinking about teaching that subject, I spend a lot of time just thinking about that, figuring out how do I approach teaching the subject? Do I simply want to have them make weird, wild shapes? Or do I want to have them think that are for covers of magazines? And I came up with my definition of display type is just making type that stands out and whatever that means for the students. And again, taking that concept of standing out seriously, right? It's not simply, I'm just going to make something weird that stands out. No, well, like it's type design. We are designers. Let's dive deeper into this. So even if the concept feels, you know, very playful, very out there, there's a lot of thought that designers have put into it. And yeah, it's like a lot of the students, if not all of the students, they really took that seriously. And I challenged them a lot, uh, whether their concept was, you know, to make things that are very blown up or just super wild or super refined. Part of the brief was, what is it that you want to learn with this project? Mm. So, so yeah, that class for me, it was it was a way to teach the basics of type design without the constraints of... I guess, having legibility be the most important thing. Like, it is important. Like, it has to be legible. Mm -hmm. But there is more tolerance when we talk about display type. And I ask the students to also, like, define what it is that they want to get out of this 10-week class because 10 weeks is not enough time. A year is not enough time. So Mm -hmm. it's really a conversation between me and the students and, I guess, my TAs also to help me support that. But to try to make sure they get out of the class, the workshop, the program, the things that they need to get out of so they can continue their education. So that meant that in display type, some of them just wanted to learn the process. Some of them just were already good at drawing, but they wanted to learn how to draw a typeface. And some of them, they wanted to learn how to think as type designers. And they're all different aspects of the same thing. So it's uh, for me, it's very, very invigorating to be able to switch from student to student, and also be able to see how they actually are developing things. Because if you pay attention and you listen to them, they are going to do really good work. And that is fun, but it's also intensive, active listening. It's it's not easy, but it's oh. uh, it's really what keeps students engaged. Sometimes, you know, like you may have faculty that's just like looking at the clock and wait to get out of <laughs> class. And like, I'm yeah. actually really interested in the students and I, I try to stay in touch with them because Again, once you develop that connection, it's really important to continue nurturing that because you never know where they're going to end up. If they want to continue doing type design, then I want to be there. I want to be like their cheerleader, you know, and support them. And it only gets better and students don't want to follow that path. And that's great too. Like maybe we'll see each other again at some point, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's all good. Life is short. (laughs) Try to have fun, enjoy and and learn new things. And if type is your thing, great. Let's chat. And if, if not, well, keep going. You said this so casually. The class is a lot about what people themselves want to get out of that. I think Mm -hmm. that is incredibly novel. This is groundbreaking, in my opinion. I know you're like, that's what the class is about. (laughs) But that takes a lot of work from your perspective. That's a lot of critical thinking from you, thinking how you can best serve these students. And also that's a dream class for a type lover. I mean, obviously there's programs that will go into the really deep, 
details. But there's so many people there that love type and have this base knowledge and maybe need some guidance on to actually understand how to make expressive type. Because I find expressive type design quite challenging. It's a lot about systems and logic. And it's a lot about committing to things that are are unconventional and, and solving problems for how to make an R look this way if you're, all your other letters look like that and not have spacing issues, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, to be offering the students, I want to give you what you want to get out of this class. That's huge for me. That's just a dream. And I'm, I'm just so glad that's been a workshop for so many people to experience. I've also heard excellent things from people that went through that program. So I just wanted to take note of this very novel this novel thing that you were you were mentioning because that makes me really excited. Where do you see type education going? Do you think there will be less of a focus on formal schools because there's other education options that are becoming more and more available? Um, a lot of options where people can self teach themselves. I mean, Lin Yun schools all the way up there, but you know, there's nothing quite light instructor feedback and all that. So yeah, where do you see it going? And are there any innovations beyond remote learning that you're observing that are interesting and feel like they're emerging? Wow, yeah, it's also a tough question. Wow. Yeah, where do I see education going? I just think it's going. It's just going. And I'm not saying that to give you a non-answer. What I see is I just needs to continue evolving. People just need to continue teaching. In terms of like a shift in the teaching paradigm, you know, I I definitely see more people adapting the online uh, environment, which I think it's great. You know, I think online education has been dismissed for a long time. I think mainly it was because, you know, it's so new or it was new at the time. And if you have in-person, why online, right? But then I think once you're forced to adopt something different, you start to realize that this is actually a huge, huge opportunity to do things a little bit differently. Like certain constraints that you might have with an in-person environment are completely removed and you're free to actually bring people in that you would have only dreamed of because you know you would have to pay an airfare for them to come visit your class. So things like that, if you actually think about this hard and take advantage of it and really plan ahead, because a lot of it is planning. A lot of online education is planning, planning, and planning. A lot of things that appear random, they're actually planned. A lot of things that I do at Type West Online, I'm planning ahead of time the whole year to make sure you know, everything falls into place and also plan backup plans and you know, think through different problems so that in case things change in terms of calendar, schedules, Wi-Fi, or just life happens, I have a contingency plan to make sure things work and the students feel like they're, they're being heard and they're being supported. So I think education, perhaps... The way I see it going is that hopefully there's more support from faculty. I think there already is, but hopefully there is even more and more of this so that it, so the education doesn't end after you finish a 10-week program. It continues after that. It's not simply just you know getting people through a workshop and done. It's more like, okay, you finished this, and now we are, we are friends. We've gone through this together, and if you want to do more, hey, I'm a resource, or I can point to other people who can help you continue moving forward. So I think that is that is where it's going. And I'm seeing a lot more of that these days, more mentorships, more more ways to stay in touch. And hopefully that will lead to different ways of approaching education. Maybe hybrid models would be amazing. But I think generally it's more people who are learning the skills and they are also teaching them. And they are not simply just taking the material and passing it forward. They're actually putting in their own perspectives. That is what makes also this whole field much richer. Yeah. 
innovations beyond remote learning, I think it's that. The more people you have learning the skills, the more they want to share it. And like I mentioned earlier, it's hard to teach something the same way because if you're a designer, you have an opinion on things. And it's important to question those opinions and figure out what is your perspective on this particular topic. So whenever I take a class online, because I've taken a lot of online classes, one, because I love learning, and two, because for me, seeing what works and what doesn't work as a student helps me a lot in being a better instructor. So some of the best instructors I've witnessed or I've had are people that are curious and engaged in conversation with you. Um, some of the worst are people who are just lecturing and lecturing and lecturing and not being conscious that you know, the people on the other side are humans. So, or, you know, bad time management, which is, I think, something everyone struggles with, especially online. So, yeah. so yeah, so just getting better at that. But yeah, so innovations, I think, just having more people sharing information. And I think that will lead to different ways of teaching, different ways of sharing, and different topics being covered. Yeah. I love that you mentioned all the kind of side effects from remote learning. You know, I think so important that you mentioned the planning. Again, I agree. People kind of pushed aside online learning and didn't take it seriously for many years, when in fact, it takes a lot of coordinating. I mean, we at the league do these weekend workshops, which, you know, is nothing compared to full extensive programs, but like, I totally understand. It's like, okay, so we have to plan the dry run. We have to plan the tech. We have to plan this out. We have to make sure the timing, the pacing, incredible amount of skills and knowledge that goes into that. And then, but I also love that you're saying it's almost easier for you all to keep in touch. Like when you're in person, there's like a level of finality at the end of a program. Like, oh, I won't be seeing you every day. So I can't be thinking about you every day. So that natural digital interaction may feel not as accessible. Whereas if you're in a virtual classroom, it's so easy. Like you're already digitally communicating pretty often. And that makes a certain comfort level around that more accessible and continues the conversation beyond the classroom. That is something I really like hearing and I think can also set apart online learning from in-person with all the other benefits of having a much more global Mm -hmm. audience of students as well as global visitor teachers to teach certain skills. So I am done with the really hard questions. (laughs) So I know I've been like stressing you out, (laughs) but you've been like those... There's so many gems in there. I'll be taking with me like past this conversation. We have a quick lightning round of three questions. They're not necessarily easy, but like they're not as <laughs> they're not as thorough as the previous ones. So, first lightning round question: What is a core non-technical skill that you think type designers need that they don't teach you at design school? Mm. And you're talking about design school or type design school? I guess you can pick either one. There's a lot of soft skills I feel like you realize you need once you're like a professional or an educator at any point. Well, I may take this back because I guess group projects were never great ever in my experience because there's always someone who ends up doing a lot of the work. Always. But that is such a huge skill to actually learn, especially now I'm working professionally. A lot of it is collaboration, 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 working with people. So I wish there was a better way to teach that in undergrad. At least for my experience, there really wasn't. It's like, okay, make groups of four and figure it out. Like, it is a lot of work to do that, but it would have been interesting if there was some sort of like framework for doing that. And, yes. And that is a huge skill that, and another one could be just like learn how to write an email. A lot of people don't yes. know how to write an email. Or, you know, their email etiquette can be very casual. Yeah. And sometimes it reads like spam. So, so yeah, I mean... If you are trying to connect with designers, 
you probably have to have a little bit of an email etiquette so that you know the communication is clear, there's respect from both sides, and you come across professionally uh, or just you know a little bit more more formal. And then you can be casual. Yeah. But yeah, so like that easing in of just being a a normal, kind, you know, courteous person. I think that that sometimes gets gets pushed aside for you know, just, just make just make something cool, just make something that works. Yeah. Work on your portfolio, but you could have the best work in the world. But if you don't know how to approach people, if you don't know how to collaborate, then you're either gonna have to learn that fast, which is what a lot of people do, or you're just gonna have to like struggle a lot, and yeah. then eventually figure out that you know this is something really important that you should have. Uh, learned or practiced when you were in school. And I think people are doing that more, but during my time, that wasn't such a huge thing that was emphasized. Yeah. Because, you know, granted, there's a lot of things you have to learn. But again, I'm questioning my own education. And if I were to do things my way, perhaps I would infuse a little bit more of that within my undergrad education. And that is also something I'm trying to add to the Type West curriculum as well. Interesting. Working in teams as type designers, which is something we didn't do. Right, everyone worked on their own project, mm. but type design, at least in my experience, working at Monotype is very collaborative. Even though you're working on a project, you're still sharing feedback, you're sharing comments, and sometimes you could even share work. So it's like, why can't we just put some of those skills with students that are currently learning type design? Yeah. So again, I don't know what other programs are doing. Maybe they're doing some of it already. But yeah, I plan on doing something like that as well, because I think it just makes the work better and also helps you understand how other students are designing their, their typefaces. Like imagine having to complete someone else's design by a few characters, which is a task that type designers do. There's a lot more that goes into just draw an A that matches this N. You actually have to have a conversation about, yeah. so what were your intentions behind this letter? So what did you think about this serif? And then you start being more critical of the work in both in a subjective way in terms of a tone and feeling, but also in a very clear way in terms of what is the design brief of this project and how should I draw this B that matches or does my drawing make justice to your vision for this design? A lot of those collaborative skills could be put easily into a program through the form of exercises. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit more of that and, and see how we can imbue more collaboration into the program, which is everything for me at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great answer. Also interesting insight into your professional life and how collaboration works for type design. I would pay money to sit in a conversation of a collaborative meeting between two type designers, seeing if the end does justice to the number eight and the vision that they propose. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I'm serious. I mean, that stuff's really interesting. And again, things that you don't learn about or expect necessarily in your education. So that's a great answer. Next question. As someone that's passionate about passing on your own knowledge, what is something you've learned from your mentees or your students? Mm. The thing is, like, I've learned so much from all my students. So to narrow it down to one thing, it's hard. But I do like to learn a lot from their process and their work. The one thing I've learned, which perhaps is a little bit of a generalization, is that everyone has their own approach at, at working with type in their own context. So the thing I learned is to engage in conversation with them, putting myself out there to like, let's have a one-on-one -on -one and chat and then tell me how it's going. What are you struggling with? That is kind of what, I, what I've learned. If you really want to connect with the students, you have to spend time with them and getting to know them. And it's hard when you have a lot of students, but you know, it's, it's also part of the, the job, I think. If you're into that, you know, just like, talk to students. So the biggest lesson is to always, always, always be curious and always try to reach out to them. 
That is what I've learned. That is part of what keeps me motivated in teaching as well. And you're talking to new people every class, every term. That keeps things interesting. Every conversation is going to be different. Everything you're going to talk about is going to be different. So, so yeah, that's something I've learned from my mentees. It's not really like a specific lesson, but it's this idea of really, really trying to get to know them better. I think that's really valuable to pass on to people that are aspiring to be educators too. It's not just you talking at a screen or people. It's really about the engagement that makes it feel so meaningful. So I think that's a great answer. Final question. This one's always hard. (laughs) It seems easy, but maybe you have an answer prepared. Who's a person working right now in the letter form world that you admire? Mm, there's a lot of people. I can't really, I mean, I'll say a few names, obviously. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> because I, I do want to give shout outs. But yeah, a lot of people I admire for, for many different reasons. And I think I, I keep people close whose qualities I admire for, again, for various reasons. So just to start with a few names, I think the my co-instructors at Type West, I admire all of them. And the reason why I'm co-teaching with them is because... With Carl, it's just because he's such a wealth of knowledge and he's so, so, so experienced. Like for me, I admire in him his, his generosity and also his warmth and the way he, he articulates things and he shares his vision. Then I'm going to be teaching with Lynn and for with her, I admire her, her enthusiasm and her, her attitude towards just getting things done and not being afraid of making mistakes and just moving forward and staying positive. You know, I admire a lot of that in her. And also she's done a lot, a lot of work with the type design school to make education accessible. And then, you know, Jen Ramirez also admired that guy a lot. I met him when I went to La Trastica and just the way he manages a community and he's able to get people inspired, it's really inspiring to me. So a lot of the people that I met in Guadalajara are still people that I stay in touch with. Some of them became my students. Some of them uh, became my TAs. And again, it's people who are not really selfish, I think, generally, people who, who I find things to admire. There's many more for many different reasons. Like I could go on all day. So yeah, I, I keep it brief, but I think my co-instructors are people that I admire. And that's something also I try to do. I try to collaborate with people who I admire. <laughs> and maybe that, that's easier said than done, but that is why I chose them. And that is why I'm, I'm excited to be able to work with them. And you know, if you could make a job for yourself and work with people that you admire, I think that is one aspect of the dream of being a, a designer or an educator. I try to do that for myself and I'm really happy that it's it's happening. That's perfect. I always love ending on this question because we're all smiling now. Like I'm smiling, you're smiling. <laughs> we're just talking about people out there doing amazing stuff and deserve the shout outs. Juan, oh my God, this was such a good interview. You have given me just so many things to think about moving forward. And and I know everyone in the audience has so much to think about, about type education field, which is just ever morphing and expanding. And I think we're all trying to stay really optimistic because we have seen so much growth in there. And then also just your generosity and talking about your experience with the professional side of things, as well as the educational side of things. You are an open book and it's just really appreciated. And I think this conversation is going to be so valuable to everyone. So Juan, I think most people know who you are, but I'm not going to assume. So if anyone wants to find your work or follow you, could you let them know where you are on social media and how people can keep up with what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can go to my website, juankafka.com. That is not my real name, but JuanKafka.com. Then you can also find me online is at Juan underscore Kafka. 
that is all my social media. That is pretty much where I post all my experimental work, education initiatives, and you know anything I, I do on a quote unquote professional or creative life, I share over there. So yeah, feel free to stay in touch. And if you are interested in type, interested in learning about type or want some feedback, check out TypeGrid Crew. Look at all my calendar. You can see dates. Just book something with me, and we can chat. Uh, I always loved and I actually enjoy talking to students or people that are interested in perhaps pursuing type as a career or maybe just as an education or how to get into type. People have a lot of questions on that. It can be daunting to ask in a large lecture kind of format, but if you're talking one-on-one to a human, I think it becomes much easier and we can actually have a conversation that's very specific to their context and not in sort of like a high generalizations. I'm, I'm very flexible, so just reach out, stay in touch and support the work of your colleagues and the work of your friends. I think that's, that's pretty much it. We can just mic drop right there. And that's a wrap. Do you want to sing the song? <laughs> Wait, can you sing the song for us to lead us out? Because I know you know it. Mm, we, should, we should do it together. Okay. Three, two, one. Do-do-do-do. 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 Do-do-do